Welcome to the Heal Here podcast. I'm your host, Kate Flick, aka Oracle Lightworker. I'm a Holy Fire 3 Karuna Reiki master teacher and Akashic Records reader. I also happen to be a Gemini, don't judge, a 5-1 emotional manifester and empowered empath. I am literally obsessed with helping you heal and showing you that you are your own best healer. Join me here where we will explore different techniques and modalities and where I will share personal experiences and channel guidance to help support you as you move along the spiritual and healing path. I am so glad you're here. Tag team back again. Check it, your mic, and let's begin. Party on, party people. Let me hear some noise. DC's in the house. Jump for, jump for joy. There's a party over here. A party over there. Wave your hands in the air. Shake your derriere. These three words when you're getting busy. Whoop, there it is. Let me hear now. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. I am not a karaoke person, but this, if I was, this would be my karaoke song. Actually, I lie. I did do karaoke. I think I've only done karaoke once in my life in a public setting at my friend's bachelorette party. Um, shout out to Montague PEI, uh, <laughs> where we went to, oh my gosh, what was that very small, oh, it's a man's name, the name of the bar. Anyway, any listeners in Montague, Prince Edward Island, <laughs> hit me up and let me know, what's this guy, what's the name of this bar? Anyway, memories, but I did I did perform karaoke to this song and probably one of the greatest highlights of my life thus far. So anyway, I'm glad that you got to experience that as well, even though you weren't there. Okay, happy Friday, TGIF. Uh, It's Thursday for me and I'm back in my podcasting studio, aka my closet, because the closet is where you have the best acoustics and I'm sitting on a meditation pillow with my Yeti mic kind of up on a stool with like books. Anyway, it's quite the little setup I have here, but it works. So today's a pretty busy, well, fairly busy day for me. I Here's a little day in the life of an entrepreneur owning a spiritual business. So I woke up and I do the whole routine with my kids in the morning. And then I dropped them off at school. I came home. I sent out an email to my Reiki students I had last weekend and connected with them with some information. I responded to some other emails um, on my business account and as well some DMs about Reiki and then had to prepare for an animal Reiki session at 10 a.m., which was beautiful such a beautiful just connecting with this animal's energy and so much so many beautiful messages coming through and then I finished that grabbed something to eat and then wrote down a few notes about things that I want to remember to talk about in this episode now I'm going to record this episode and edit it which I haven't really done a recording and editing in one day because the editing like it you have to re-listen to it and anyway it takes a bit of time so doing that and then I have to go coach a junior high basketball playoff game this afternoon so uh pretty busy day but an awesome day and today I was thinking whoa like this is uh, I can't believe I get to do this this is so amazing that this is like it just fills me up all the things that I'm doing right now I'm loving so much and I of course I still get FOMO from being in the like there there are a lot of things I miss from teaching high school particularly the teenagers like that energy but I am feeling so grateful lately for the decision I made and I just actually it's hitting me right now today was supposed to be my first day back to work for second semester of you know of this school year so and now I'm sitting in the bathrobe it's freezing by the way I'm sitting in my bathrobe and my sweatpants and everything in a bathrobe in my closet and there's no place else I would rather be. (laughs) Uh, Okay, anyway, so before we get into today's episode, just a little, a few reminders. Uh, I haven't released the next dates for Reiki training, but that those are in the works. And if if anyone is interested in, I know people are coming from different time zones and, you know, on the weekend intensive, I kind of have to keep usually with a pretty similar schedule because they are long days. But I am toying with the idea of some weekday classes, maybe during the day or evening. So if any of those 
options appeal to you, let me know. Um, and I might be able to set that up in the near future. If I can get a couple of people, a few people to sign up at that time, that would be wonderful. It's always better. You know, I love to have a small class, but you benefit when you have people obviously in your class so that you can share your experiences. And we learn so much from all of the people that are in the class and all of the energies connecting with all of our energies. It's a pretty beautiful experience. So I do still have one-to-one Akashic Reiki sessions available in my link in bio, or you can find those as well at www.www.org. Oh gosh, what is it? OracleLightworkerHealing.podia.com, or you can find it in my link in bio on Instagram at Oracle Lightworker. So you can find my appointments there. I also do children's Reiki, animal Reiki, land clearing, house clearing, spirit attachment release. So a few different options for you there. And you might see actually, you know what, there may only be, there might be something available tomorrow, but you'll probably see there's nothing for the weekend. But I am, I'm waiting to see how we do tonight. If we lose tonight, sadly, our season is over for basketball. But if we win, then I'm going to be looking into, there's going to be practices on the weekend. And so I haven't opened up any sessions. So anyway, stay tuned. I'm There may be some weekend sessions coming up. I'm just waiting for my coaching schedule. I'm waiting to see how we do tonight. So send lots of positive vibes to our game tonight. That would be greatly appreciated. So in today's episode, I am going to talk about my first year of sobriety, some of the challenges, some of the tools and techniques that helped me kind of survive that first year, those first few months and moving forward. And I'm also going to talk about some of the things I learned about alcohol that helped me make this a permanent habit. It's like you, some of the things, it's like when you see something, you can't unsee it. That's how it was for me in alcohol. The more I learned and educated myself about alcohol, it was like, I can't unsee that. (laughs) I can't unknow that. (laughs) Now it's in my brain and I have that with me moving forward. And it definitely really helped to strengthen my sober curiosity or me staying sober because I just knew too much. You get to a point where you know too much and it's like, oh, I can't, I can't go back there. I just know too much. I feel like there's so much I could be talking about. I feel like I could do like so many episodes, probably should be breaking it down into all these different episodes, but this isn't a sober podcast. It's a healing podcast. And as I said before, removing alcohol from my lifestyle, my diet was transformational for me. I'm pretty sure I said it was a game changer. I don't know if you're familiar with that terminology game changer. <laughs> uh, but it was a game changer, okay? It was a total game changer. I'm not I'm not taking it back. I'm gonna say game changer like 10 times this podcast because it was <laughs> and it still is. So anyhow, it it has impacted my physical, my my emotional mental health. And I know it it's affected positively my spiritual health because there is, in my opinion, You know, there is a connection between spirituality and alcohol and they call alcohol spirits. It's referred to as hard alcohol is referred to as spirits for a reason. Okay, and anyway, that could be a whole other podcast. Okay, back on track, Kate, back on track. So let's go way back. Just get comfortable. (laughs) Lay back as I take you on a journey back to my first year of sobriety. (laughs) Okay, that sounded super creepy. Um, So. My first year, so I told you I did the Annie Grace 30-day alcohol experiment, and I thought that it may have cost money, and I actually looked into it. I'm pretty sure it it's free. It is free. I guess it was free. I don't know. I think maybe because I bought the books, maybe that's where I thought the cost came from, but the books are totally optional, although highly, highly, highly recommend. So I signed up for the 30-day uh, alcohol-free experiment, and what I liked about it, and I think I mentioned this last podcast, is that it... There was never any pressure with it. It's not like you have to stop drinking forever. It's just all about sober curiosity and just allowing yourself to consider new perspectives and like, hmm, like I wonder what it'd be like if I did remove alcohol for an extended period of time and just being open to the possibility of what that might, what impact that might have on your life. So I did that and, you know, it was, it, (laughs) 
some days were easy and some days were difficult. And it's like navigating all the firsts, right? Like, so my first Super Bowl, because I'm a big, I love Super Bowl. I, I, I love, I like football because I grew up watching football and my family was a big football family. And so it was always on. So that made me feel connected to family. So I really, you know, I'm not a huge football nut. It's because I grew up in a family that watched football. So there are a lot of memories tied to football. But I love, I particularly love and have loved the Super Bowl because it was a reason to drink and eat all the apps and like the snacky foods that I love. So Super Bowl for me is a big deal. I love it. So my first Super Bowl, the idea of my first Super Bowl without beer and like probably transitioning to wine was like very daunting. It was actually depressing. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do without my Super Bowl drinks? And so I, you just have to, in all of these circumstances and with these firsts, you know, my best advice is to be prepared (laughs) and have a plethora. Why am I saying plethora? Um, A plethora of snacks. That's a really commonly used phrase, I'm sure. Um, Equip yourself with a plethora of snacks and sparkly drinks, non-alcoholic beverages so that you can get through the night. Um, But no, that would be one of my tips is find a drink. And for me, it was like, I love kombucha. That's something that for me, it's it's sparkly, kind of carbonated, and gives me the same. Why am I saying mouth feel? Where are all these words coming from? It gives me the same mouth feel as wine. It doesn't actually, but that's what's coming through right now. Just something that you can have in your hand that when you have that urge to drink, that you will have something that you enjoy and you're just not empty handed. And it's funny, I'm just remembering here, one of the first get-togethers I went to with friends when I wasn't drinking, and I brought a bunch, like I brought a cooler full of like sparkling waters, and I remember my friend looking at me and was like, oh my gosh, like I downed, I think, I didn't even realize, I like downed like four or five sparkling waters in like, or like carbonated whatever waters in a really short period of time. It was like I was chugging them, and she's like, basically like, are you okay? She's like, wow, you're really down in those tonight, aren't you? And I didn't realize it was just, I mean, I'm sure it was a nervous, anxious reaction and just being so used to being these social settings and and having that drink as a security blanket and as a comfort. And I just was like going to town on the sparkling water because it was giving me, I guess it was feeling comforting to me. I'm not really sure. Speaking of friends, even though I wasn't going to talk about, I I didn't even put this down. I forgot to write this down as something I wanted to talk about, but that was something I was really nervous about. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, I became known as quite the party person. I love to drink. I was always down to drink. If you wanted to go out to the bars, I'm your girl. I'm with you. I'm going to every party. I'm going to, I'll day drink with you. I'll do all of the things with regards to drinking in university. And that was my, I felt like became part of my identity. And I, I always, you know, I felt like there's an expectation for me to bring a fun element to social gatherings. I do crazy things. I'd, you know, I, I, I just felt like I needed to entertain. And you know what, now I'm kind of realizing, I feel like that's, maybe it was a sense of like low worth, like I had issues maybe around worthiness and I felt like my worthiness was tied to my ability to entertain people and make them laugh. And then if, you know, I couldn't do that, then maybe people wouldn't want to be friends with me anymore is what I'm kind of realizing right now. And so I had some anxiety around, okay, if I'm not like the fun, crazy person anymore, are people going to want to be around me? Are my friends going to still like me? And well, what I've come to realize is I am still, I can still be the fun, crazy person in a social setting. And I know a lot of my former students would probably um, say, talk about that personality that they would have seen uh, me exhibit in the classroom. And that was definitely without alcohol. And, you know, my friends, I remember 
going to a Backstreet Boys concert. How many have I been to? If you know me, you know my love for the Backstreet Boys. BSB forever. Um, But we went to the Backstreet Boys in Ottawa, I believe, and it was my first concert going going to a concert sober, alcohol-free. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, like, what is this going to be like? This is not, I'm so excited to see the Backstreet Boys, but this isn't going to be half as fun as it would be if, if, if I was loaded drunk, right? And we went, and honestly, it was so much better than any concert I've ever been to because I was so consciously aware. I was so in the moment, every song, like I was dancing around, like it was unbelievable. Like my favorite, one of my favorite concerts because I was in the moment and I was present and I wasn't just loaded, just, you know what I mean? Out of it, not aware. And I just remember thinking, wow, like this, I would, this experience would have been so much different if I was drunk. And I remember just feeling a lot of gratitude, like, wow. And it, it's it's exciting. Like every time you do something that you've never done before, when you do it sober, you almost feel comforted, like, wow, like I did this and it was, you know, it was enjoyable. And it's comforting to know that I can do these things that I did in the past when I was drinking all the time and they're still fun and they're still enjoyable. So, of course, I got off track again, but I brought up my friends because I remember like thinking that my friends aren't going to want to be friends with me or be around me. And I remember, you know, some of those first few events I went to that I would typically be drinking at and I wasn't drinking. And I was just so nervous about, you know, if they were going to say something to me, give me a hard time, pressure me. And, you know, I had I kind of prepared myself for everything and it's so funny. It was a non-issue. I had built up all of these, not built up, but I had imagined all these potential scenarios and none of them happened. It was a zero. It was literally a non-issue. And I know maybe that's not the experience for everyone, but I think, I don't know. I, I thought that people were going to have more of a problem with me not drinking, but my friends were super supportive and they didn't make me feel that you know, bad about not drinking because I worried about that because sometimes when if you don't drink for other people, it might feel like that's putting a spotlight on their drinking or that you're judging them. And that's not for me, like at all, like you do you like, I don't care if other people drink. It's funny being for me going to parties now and being around other people who drink like it can be quite entertaining for me now to be (laughs) to be honest, like I don't you do whatever you need to do. I drank for many years and, you know, that was my journey and my path. So I'm keeping my eyes focused on my lane. And if you choose to drink, you choose to drink. But I I thought I was going to be judged. I thought my not drinking might have triggered people. But I didn't find that with any of my family or friends at all. Like no one in my family at all seemed triggered by my drinking. And it's interesting that my dad actually celebrated a year of sobriety yesterday. It's yesterday the first. And yeah, he gave up drinking for Lent. He does that usually a lot of times. He's Catholic and he observes Lent and he gave up drinking for Lent and he just decided to continue on and, you know, has experienced a lot of positive benefits in his life. So You know, I, my family, I thought because we always like to connect kind of over, you know, beers and football and a glass of wine, I thought that they might, not that they wouldn't accept me, but it might, I don't know, just create, change things, I guess, but it wasn't the case at all. Like that didn't seem for me anyway. I didn't perceive that they felt weird about it at all. It was totally accepted. And now my dad's not drinking. So that's pretty cool as well. So yeah, so back to my first year. So for me, the biggest part was getting through the witching, what they call kind of the witching hour. And how I see the witching hour is that, you know, that window of time, like if for me, the witching hour was Fridays at like, you know, around four, between four to, I don't know, seven or probably four to seven, four to eight, because that was my drinking time. And you know, I would told you I cracked that bottle of wine on a Friday night and 
it's funny. I never, and this is very problematic. I totally understand this, but I, and I remember, remember telling this to other people and people were probably like, this is not a good sign. <laughs> they didn't say anything to me, but I remember saying, oh yeah, I don't like to drink and eat at the same time. Like it just, I uh, don't, it doesn't feel good to me. And yeah, I wonder why, Kate. <laughs> I wanted the alcohol going directly to my bloodstream without any interference. <laughs> but but it was true. Even through university, if I had any food, I don't know what it was. Like I wanted to drink pretty much on an empty stomach. Very problematic again. I know this. But then if I started to eat, I mean, I could have some finger foods, but if I eat something, I'm pretty much done drinking for the night. Like I was never that person who would come back from the bar and drink after the bar, anything like that. Like I'd always hit a point where, you know, I I would want to stop, especially if I had any food in my system, I'd want to stop. So for me, my witching hours, Friday nights, you know, whenever I get home from school, 4.30, 4, till could be around 7 or 8, and then, you know, eat some food and then I wouldn't drink I wouldn't be drinking like late into the night or anything like that but I was usually drinking on an empty stomach which I seem to love <laughs> but so it was me getting through that and it's like I would I, I remember even one time I came home from school and I just it be, I realized holy crap this is a habit I unconsciously went and grabbed for the wine and I didn't even want it. And in my mind, I remember being like, I don't even want this. Why are you grabbing for this? Like, I'd rather have kombucha right now. The idea of wine doesn't even sound that great, but it had be become such an ingrained habit. And what I'm thinking of now to compare this to is, you know, I've deleted, if you ever delete like an app off your phone, like a social media app off your phone, and I've done that in the past where you delete, you know, Instagram or Facebook off your phone, and then you find yourself unconsciously clicking where that app used to be. And it's like, oh, what am I doing? And it's like this unconscious behavior that's become ingrained. And it's almost like you're doing it on autopilot. And that's what I had become with the wine. And I remember that day, I was like, oh, and I became consciously aware that day. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even really want this, but I'm just, it's just become so ingrained. So anyway, I realized I had to replace the habit of drinking, I had to have something to do during that witching hour. Okay. And it's habit replacement is important when you're, when you stop drinking, like drinking takes up a lot of time. It actually takes up a lot of mental capacity, which was so freeing when I got rid of that, but it takes up a lot of time. Like when you calculate the time planning to go buy your liquor, what liquor you're going to buy, all of that. But then the act of drinking itself is can t can take time and the interesting thing is when people quit drinking you know it depends on how much you drink but it usually opens up a big space of time in your life like whoa I have a lot more time now that I'm not drinking I used to spend this many hours on Friday night or Saturday night and it's like okay what am I going to do now so what I I don't like to give people advice but today I'm speaking from my own experience so you can take whatever resonates and leave the rest behind but for me, it was important, you know, you need a new hobby, okay? You need something or a new habit, hobby, something to replace that old habit of drinking, something that will, you know, because you're going to have new time. So for some people that might be going to the gym, maybe, or maybe you're going to start reading more or knitting. And it's kind of exciting when you think about it. It's like, we're always so busy in this day and age and people want more time. They're always saying, I don't have enough time for self-care and this and that that's the big thing with quitting drinking. It opens up this time for more self-care and more focus on yourself, which is a beautiful thing. So I started going for walks and I love to walk now. I used to be a runner, very much into running. I did a couple of um, marathons and was very into running like big time um, after I finished my basketball playing days. And I never would go for a walk because in my mind, if it was, you know, if it was under a 5K run, I would not even bother because that's a waste of time. Even under in the beginning, it was like under a 10K run. Like I'd have to run at least 45 minutes or I wouldn't want to bother with it. And I'm like, my, how things have changed. Now I walk. I never run. I don't have any desire. That's just me. And some people love to run. 
But right now in my life, that may change for me, but I, I just love to walk. And for me, it's just grounding. It clears my mind. It gets me out of nature and it's easy on my body. I just love walking. I get so many downloads and insights when I'm walking. And I love to walk with my husband and we that's where we communicate. That's kind of like our equivalent of a date really is our walks. So, but at that time when I quit drinking, I wasn't walking at all. So I just remember one day sitting there. I knew I didn't want to drink, but I didn't know what to do. And I just felt very uncomfortable. And so I just put on my head headphones and went out for a walk, just needed to get a change of scenery and, and went out. And from that day on, it started to be, you know, a habit of mine that I would just put on a sober, curious podcast. And I can give you some names of some podcasts that you might want to listen to. And so when I had that urge to drink, I went outside and replaced it with a new activity, a new habit. And kept my mind busy in a way that I was learning. It was reinforcing why I wasn't drinking. And I was listening to these sober podcasts, tell other people sharing their stories about how an alcohol negatively impacted their lives and how long they've been sober for and what are their biggest tips and t- techniques and tricks and all these things. And it was very motivating to me to stay on the sober path and to, to keep it up. And so I kind of developed this new walking habit, which I loved. So another thing that I used to do on Fridays with our family is we would go swimming at the Kiri pool. If you're from the island, you will know the care. I guess it's actually that's old school. It's Bell Alliance Center. I'm sorry. So we would go to I think there's a family swim and this was before the pandemic. It was in 2019. And so I would, you know, take my walk and then as a family in that evening, we would go swimming. And that was crucial for me because it was this new activity. It was taking me out of the house where, you know, I would normally do my Friday night drinking. And it was just, it, it allowed me to really break from that habit. And it was very supportive and it was fun. Like I looked forward to this Friday swimming, this new routine, this new tradition that we were doing with our family. And it's something that my husband would always take the kids swimming on Sundays. I think I mentioned this before in the podcast. And on Sundays, I used to go to my school to do schoolwork. And so I kind of missed out on that and the kids loved it. And so he would take them there every Sunday. So this was now me. I was getting to participate in this with the family on Friday nights and it just helped me so much. And I wasn't thinking about drinking at all. We were just having fun. So as I mentioned earlier, learning and education was instrumental in me staying away from alcohol. I needed to learn about how alcohol was affecting me, affecting my body, affecting my mind. And as I said, once I learned that, I couldn't go back to it because I knew too much at that point. And that's where I can't give enough um, gratitude to Annie Grace for writing the books that she did because they changed everything for me. I'm very, very grateful for her books, This Naked Mind and The 30-Day Alcohol Experiment, to me, those are the Bibles. Like if you are sober curious, those books for me, maybe it's not for everybody, but they just made me realize that alcohol was taking more from me than it was giving to me. And they changed the game for me. See, I did that in a new way. I didn't say game changer. They changed the game. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a few of the things that stuck have stuck with me the most and what really helped me change my thinking around drinking and there's science involved in this and it just made sense to me and made me realize that this like alcohol was no longer serving me so when you drink your brain releases dopamine okay it's like a pleasure hormone releases dopamine and endorphins okay and that's why when you have that first drink it does. It feels so good. Like, I, I'm not going to dispute that. It definitely feels so good. But addictive substances like alcohol stimulate those pleasure centers in the brain and they stimulate them more than 
regular activities. So for instance, going for a walk, reading a book, meeting a friend for coffee, okay? These are pleasurable experiences, but in the pleasure department, they cannot compete with alcohol because when you drink alcohol, it is releasing dopamine far beyond normal levels. Your brain is is releasing it far beyond normal levels. So this may sound great. Like, yeah, that's perfect. That's what I want. I want my brain to release lots of endorphins, lots of dopamine. I want to feel good. Like, what's the problem with that? I know it sounds great. But the issue is, is that your brain is always trying to maintain homeostasis. Okay, it's always trying to remain balanced and bring your body back and your brain back into balance. So when you drink, your pleasure chemicals go up and your inhibitions go down. And so your brain is very intelligent, okay? And it's going to release a counter chemical called dynorphin to bring balance back to the brain and to counteract this huge spike of endorphins and dopamine that are present after you have a drink, okay? So dynorphin, as I said, it's like a counter chemical and it acts as a sedative. So it's it brings you down, so when you drink, okay, you get you get quite high from those from that release of dopamine and endorphins and then the the, the dynorphin comes in and brings you back down. So this is why after you have a drink, you're feeling good and then after a little time passes, you want another drink, right? You're not feeling quite, you want to get that hit again. And that's because that dynorphin was released into your body and it brought you, it acted like a sedative and and brought you down. So if you do choose to have that second drink, it is going to bring you back up. But the problem is, is it's not going to bring you up as high as you were before because your brain keeps releasing this dynorphin, this sedative, to keep that balance. And you're going to end up going lower than you were previously, meaning you are going to feel lower than you did before. So you'll have another drink and then which will bring you up again and the dynorphin will be released and brings you lower yet again. So you're going to be feeling more and more numb and the endorphins are just not going to be working as well. They're not going to feel the same because you're continuously numbing yourself and you're never going to be as high as you were with that first drink. Imagine you had a feel-good scale, like on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like, I'm feeling amazing. (laughs) And so, you know, imagine you go to a happy hour and on that feel-good scale, you're at about a 6. And so you have a drink and the drink brings you up to about a 9 or a 10. And it's like, okay, I'm feeling good. But then the dynorphin is released, okay, and then that's going to bring you down. So when it brings you down, you are going to want another drink to to bring you back up again. The problem is, is when you have this second drink, this time it's only going to bring you up to about a 7 or 8 on that feel-good scale, okay? It's not bringing you up to the 9 or 10. It's going to bring you up to probably around a 7 or 8. And when you're at that 7 or 8, your brain is still going to release the dynorphin and it's going to bring you down yet again. And then if you choose to have another drink, this time it may only bring you up to about a five on the feel-good scale. So think of this. You're at a five and you started at a six. And a lot of people go to happy hour or whatever. They want to feel better. They want to feel good. And you do. You get kind of tricked into it because initially you are feeling like, you know, that first drink, I miss that first drink buzz. Definitely I do. I love, not a care in the world, right? And you feel amazing. But what I do now, and this is one of my main tips or tricks or strategies that I recommend to other people is to play the tape forward. And, you know, play that tape forward and imagine that dynorphin being released and and remembering that, you know, if I have multiple drinks, I'm going to end up feeling worse than I did, you know, on the feel-good scale, worse than I did before I started drinking. And that always makes me not want to have that drink. That always makes me more comfortable in my sobriety because 
I play that tape forward to what it's going to look like if I have multiple drinks. This is why you see people at a party and they're so happy and lively, you know, the life of the party, having a great time. And then come the end of of the night, you sometimes find these people are crying in a corner somewhere. It's like, what happened? And it has nothing to do with the person. Well, I mean, maybe they are going through something in their life, but even if they are, it's the dynorphin is coming in, acting as a sedative and bringing you down to counteract those high levels of dopamine and endorphins. So it's going to bring you down if you have many drinks in a night. It's going to bring you down to a lower state than you were before you started drinking. And it frustrates me because alcohol is being marketed to us as a stress reliever. And, you know, that's what the secret ingredient to have fun. And that's, you know, people drink it because they want to have fun. They want to feel good. They want to relieve stress. Yet alcohol is the thing that's actually taking that away from us. And it really frustrates me now that I know this and to see the marketing around alcohol. And that actually... Brings me to another whole thing is mommy wine culture, which I will talk about, but I still want to keep talking a little bit more about kind of the science um, between, you know, with with regards to alcohol in your brain. So over time, you know, we're talking about dynorphin. So if you continue to drink and you're drinking in predictable patterns, your brain is going to start to then predict how much dynorphin it needs to release. Okay, and because it assumes you are going to be drinking. So it actually starts to pre-release dinorphin. Think about this for a second. Your brain is pre-releasing a sedative to counteract the perceived incoming alcohol. Like they think your brain thinks the alcohol is coming. It's going to start pre-releasing it. That's how much your brain wants to keep balance and homeostasis in the body. And so this is actually how tolerance builds up. I'm like, this is, I don't know. When I learned all this stuff, it kind of blew my mind. And so you're going to need more alcohol to feel that that first like release of endorphins because your brain has already pre-released the dynorphin. And when your brain is artificially stimulated, stimulated in this way with regular drinking, your brain is is getting used to this okay it's getting used to this state and and this is why normal activities no longer feel fun for you or make you happy what this means is that dynorphin builds tolerance for all activities it just doesn't not just for drinking alcohol but like your enjoyment of eating a ice cream sundae having sex i don't know watching a cool like going to a concert and so it it builds tolerance to everything and meaning you are not going to feel it and experience the pleasure from these activities that you once would have. And now it's coming to me is, yeah, that makes sense with the concert too, is like I was experiencing it. Like it felt so vibrant. It felt so, I can't even describe it. I just was so in the moment. And it's because there's no dynorphin. There's no sedative effect coming in. I was fully present in the moment and it was a very enjoyable experience for me. And that's why it's funny. People think, I thought this. I literally thought that my life is over. I'm not going to have fun anymore because I tied fun to like drinking to any fun activity I was doing. I'm like, great. Like my life is basically going to suck now. (laughs) And I didn't realize that it was actually alcohol was taking the fun out of activities. And that, you know, I've heard people say like, I heard this person, you know, I'm going to say person. I know who it is. And I'm like, okay, say his name, say his name, (laughs) Ben Higgins. Do you watch The Bachelor? (laughs) Um, Ben Higgins. I don't know when on his Instagram or something he said, you know, I just, you know, as an adult, you just don't have things aren't as fun as they were as a kid and almost accepting that as a fact. And I'm like, no, that's not true. It's because things aren't as fun as they were as when we were kids, because when we were kids and experiencing that joy of an activity, we weren't drinking. Okay. And it's the thing, you know, we associate alcohol and fun is because yeah, like dances and weddings and, you know, every event that you have, you know, graduation, celebrations, you win a championship in sports, usually there's alcohol involved. So these big celebratory events, we are we are tying the fun to alcohol. That's what I think we think is making it fun is the alcohol, but it, that is not the case. 
And when people feel like they become an adult and things aren't as fun as they used to, maybe it's time to look at your relationship with alcohol because that's what happened to me. Nothing seemed very fun to me anymore or enjoyable. And so I wanted to drink at every activity. Like, again, you know, fireworks on Canada Day with my family and any party that we're going to, a kid's birthday party. Oh, I, if if the kid's play date or birthday party had wine, you know, this was amazing for me. Like that was so awesome. And I'm sad to say this now, but I'm just telling you the truth. Like I, I really only wanted to go to things where I could drink. And now that I've taken alcohol out of my life, I've found more joy in my life. I laugh more. I enjoy things more because I don't have this dynorphin being released and pre-released and make like almost like a downer in my system a lot of the time. These experiences and activities becoming less enjoyable, less pleasurable happens over time, okay? And it happens so gradually that people don't even realize that it's happening and some people don't even notice it. I know I didn't. And some people can look at someone on the street who maybe is homeless and is struggling on the street with addictions and you might wonder, like, how did you let this happen? Like, how could you make that choice and... I see it as being, you know, it it happened gradually over time that little by little alcohol replaced everything meaningful, you know, in their life and maybe fun, but they didn't. It just happened so incrementally that that it it just then took a hold of them. Okay, and if you see, you know, I have I'm grateful. Like I would classify my drinking as gray area drinking, and you know, I didn't drink every day. I never drank in the morning. I, you know, I I did binge drink. I drank on the weekends. I had a lot of self-control. As I said before, I can be a very disciplined person. And so for quote unquote health reasons, <laughs> I would, and, and because I never would have, you know, I've read the things about what, about addictions and I never wanted to fit in that stereotype or boxes. Oh, I don't have an addiction if I don't drink every day or I can stop drinking and I could stop. Okay, I, I if if I had to stop, I could stop. So I didn't fit maybe into that category of, you know, an addiction or whatever people like to call the term alcoholic, but I had an issue with alcohol. It was negatively impacting my life. And I call this gray area drinking. And you'll hear a lot about gray area drinking if you start reading Quitlet or listening to podcasts. They talk a lot about gray area drinking. And it's damaging. That's the thing is that drinking that's normalized. I feel like gray area drinking is socially acceptable and normalized in society, but it's really damaging. It's still really damaging, but it's being promoted almost. Another thing that's popping into my head right now that I want to talk about is the relationship between caffeine and alcohol. So I actually took out caffeine At the same time as I initially took out alcohol from that hormone reset diet I told you about. And I mean, that was so sad for me because I love my coffee, love my wine. But I I found out through research that there's a huge relationship between caffeine and alcohol. So I would drink caffeine in the morning and I didn't realize how highly sensitive I was. I'd get all amped up on on coffee, just totally, you know, I loved it, but I'd be so hyper and jittery and anxious. And that was creating a lot of anxiety for me, the caffeine. If you're highly sensitive and you have a lot of anxiety, get rid of alcohol and caffeine and wait, watch your life change for real. So caffeine is like an upper. So, you know, I drink it in the morning, you know, you get and again, wasn't sleeping a lot. And I could I'll do a whole podcast on sleep, but not getting enough sleep, drinking coffee to get you going in the morning, getting super anxious during the day. And then at night, a lot of people want you need a come down. Right. And so the alcohol is a depressant. Okay, and that's with the dynorphin. It has that sedative effect. So a lot of people are, you know, guzzling coffee in the morning and they're freaking wired all day long and stressed. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, like they need after work to have some wine or alcohol to bring them back down. Okay, and that's what I would I'd wake up on Monday morning thinking about it. And I I usually did have the um, 
the ability to go till Friday unless, again, I told you if it was, you know, Valentine's Day or a birthday, I'd always use that as an excuse to drink during the week. Oh, and as well, all bets were off during the summer. I'm a teacher. <laughs> I cocktail hour. And, you know, just that was a huge green light for me to drink like during March breaks and summer vacations. And oh, yeah, that's like, oh, well, there's no rule that the rules, you know, I'm a rule follower. The rules don't apply now. Come on, you're on summer vacation. Yeah, Kate, most people don't get two months off for summer vacation to have cocktail hour. Not saying that I drank every day in the summer, but it would open the doors for opportunities for me to drink and it would make me feel okay about it. Like, oh, it's okay. I'm on vacation. People would be like, you're like, live a little, have, you know, relax. But yes, back to the caffeine and the alcohol. A lot of people don't realize that your coffee consumption could be fueling your alcohol if you are having an issue with drinking and you you want to be drinking less if you're drinking a ton of caffeine you may unconsciously be using alcohol to bring yourself back down because you you've gotten too amped up from the coffee so I, another tip would be i know it sounds like absolute hell but limit your caffeine your coffee drinking when you're cutting out alcohol it's going to make a difference and for me you know what was great is dandy blend it's a dandelion drink it tastes a lot like coffee and get some nut pods in it and you're good to go or i find even decaf coffee gets me amped up which is i have i drink decaf very rarely but i drank quite a bit of it over the christmas break and i could feel it like it i can feel like that's how sensitive i am i can feel the caffeine like almost like giving me a flutter in my chest from decaf but for me matcha I love matcha there's l the amino acid l-theanine in it and Japanese Zen Buddhist monks would drink matcha before long periods of meditation and it would allow them to be super focused energized but without the jitters and it is so true like l-theanine is very calming so I drink a huge thing of matcha every morning and I love it. It tastes amazing. And I get zero jitters. Like I get more jitters from there is caffeine in it, but I get the L-theanine. It just is more calming. I get way more jitters from decaf coffee, which is interesting. So I'm seeing we're already at 47 minutes. I'm going to try to tie everything up here. But when I think about the reasons that I did drink, um, I think, you know, for stress relief, as I was just talking about, to come down, that feeling of coming down, it that Oh, that exhale, that's one of the reasons. But I think another reason for me is that I felt really lonely and lonely in motherhood can sometimes be isolating. And I've mentioned this before, like at that time, I was going through a really difficult time in my relationship with my husband. And, you know, he he would he would say the same thing. We weren't communicating at all. And it was just, you know, you live with somebody, but I felt very alone a lot of the time, and I'm sure he would have said the same thing. And I feel like drinking, I feel like a lot of people drink to connect, to feel something. Is like drinking a lot it might stem from a feeling of disconnection. And with the drinking for stress relief, I didn't realize until after that, oh my gosh, alcohol actually creates stress in the body. It can actually create a fight or flight response and you know the day after I think about the anxiety I would get and it was this vicious cycle for me where I would you know alcohol is a depressant and I tell this to my high school students all the time you know people are drinking to get over a breakup and it's like again you see these people crying at the bar we encourage people go let's go party with the girls or the guys and get over this person and it's like the worst possible thing is you can do is take somebody drinking because they're already depressed feeling depressed and then you're giving them a depressant it's going to make things feel 10 times worse for them the next day like 10 times worse if you drink one glass of wine you might have about 20 minutes of your desired relaxed effect like feel good effect and then when that wears off you're left with increased amounts of cortisol and adrenaline which fuel anxiety so Alcohol actually causes anxiety and it doesn't manage it. And no one talks about that. And that's what I really get frustrated with is that it's one of the worst drugs that we can take if we are prone to depressive and anxious states. Yet we are being marketed and they were marketed to and told that it's going to help prevent and and assuage that feeling of anxiety. And that makes me really mad. <laughs> so... 
when I started to realize that, whoa, like this substance I'm drinking to relieve my stress is actually creating stress and inflammation in my body and more anxiety, I just was like, what am I, what am I even doing? <laughs> like, what, what am I doing with my life? And when I started to realize that alcohol was creating stress and anxiety in my life, that's when I started to anchor more into, you know, healthy coping mechanisms for stress and realizing that, you know, I used alcohol, I guess, my whole life as stress management, but that I needed other tools. I can't always, you know, I did use running or sports to cope with stress, but you can't always do that. And so that's when I really started to get more interested in the mindfulness and meditation and breathing, like breath work and Reiki and these different modalities that really helped to support me. And it's interesting with the Reiki is when I started getting Reiki sessions, like pretty soon after that, I think is when I when I did that hormone reset diet and removed alcohol from my life. And and I talked about this with my students this weekend. Reiki, when you get it, and I wasn't even attuned yet, but when you're interacting with that energy, it will start to peel back the layers and remove things that no longer serve you. And alcohol wasn't serving my highest good. And I was blind to that. But Reiki started to open my mind up to the possibilities with that hormone reset diet, the book that I found, and then the 30-day alcohol experiment. And I see now that I was guided to remove that from my life. And it's just so interesting because it all did start with Reiki and Reiki will guide you in that way and remove the people, the habits, the situations from your life that are not serving your highest good anymore. So back to mommy wine culture. <laughs> I was a card carrying mommy wine culture, I don't know, <laughs> member, <laughs> member. I was, you know, I had, what did that say? I had for Christmas, people have Christmas decorations. I had a little Christmas decoration thing I, I bought that said, as long as we have wine, the holidays will be fine. Uh, I shake my head at my old self. I can't believe I can't believe my old self just that I would have had that. But I bought right into mommy wine culture. And I actually I've don't worry, I've since thrown that I didn't donate it because I was like, I'm not participating in big alcohol, like brainwashing people anymore. And I just chucked it right in the trash. So sorry, it's not at your local value village. It's been destroyed. <laughs> but I totally bought into mommy wine culture. And if you read about it, it's sort of crazy. <laughs> it can be compared to what happened with women women and smoking. And so in the 1920s, women weren't smoking as much. So big tobacco decided to focus its efforts on tying smoking to women's equality and liberation and and they called cigarettes torches of freedom. Oh, don't even get me started here. <laughs> so basically big alcohol piggybacked on that moving forward in that kind of tying women's liberation and equality to drinking and showing, you know, targeting their marketing at women and and making women feel empowered and making them believe that they were empowered through drinking and that they were, you know, drinking with the boys and in power positions and focused a lot of their marketing on targeting women. That's kind of where it started. And then moving into the mommy wine culture movement we are being led to believe that we need wine to mother, to parent, and that wine is a necessary part of motherhood. And you see it in marketing. And now you see it. I read about it in the book by Holly Whitaker called Quit Like a Woman. That's another book I highly recommend. And she talks about how that Instagram influencers and social media kind of took that, took on that that bird took the burden off of big alcohol shoulders and started marketing it for them. And you see wine everywhere in social media. And I think I said that before. I used to love seeing people posting about wine, showing pictures of wine. It made me feel really comforted because I felt like I needed wine to cope with motherhood. And we talked about feelings of isolation that a lot of mothers probably feel your life changes so drastically when you have kids and it's obviously amazing but there are a lot of challenges with motherhood and you can feel very lonely 
And it's like this wine has been marketed as this magical elixir that just makes motherhood manageable and makes it easier. When in fact, it was making me less present with my children, it was making me more anxious, more tired, and feeling like crap, if I'm being honest. So when we talk about mommy wine culture, I mean, we can see evidence of it in different ways when you hear people saying, I need my mommy juice or, you know, buying like what I bought, that sign that said that's not mommy wine culture specifically, but well, it's still wine culture and that as long as I have wine, the holidays will be fine. And just like organizing your events, like birthday parties, always making sure there's alcohol there with anything around play dates and birthday parties and, you know, posting about drinking and that's how you cope with your kids and drinking after you get your kids to bed. And like all these things kind of work together to create this mommy wine culture. And I'm telling you, I was a huge believer in it. And it made me feel, I don't know, did it make me feel like I was part of something? Did it make me feel connected to something that, okay, I'm not the only one over here struggling in motherhood? But I think it speaks to a lack of support for mothers and their mental health and coping strategies. And and also that mothers need more support. Mothers are carrying a lot. They're balancing a lot on their plates. And I feel like wine is just kind of sweeping all of this under the rug. And if we can remove wine from the equation and maybe look at maybe households are imbalanced in the division of household chores or in caregiving or what have you. But I feel like a lot of moms are struggling and the wine is just kind of a panacea, something to make you feel better in the moment. Anyhow, I could probably go on for a long time about how destructive this wine, mommy wine culture and wine culture and big alcohol, how destructive they are. And one last thing that just popped into my mind is that, you know, alcohol is so bad for your health. It's been shown to be carcinogenic, meaning it causes cancer. And it's been linked to seven different cancers. And I'm a cancer survivor. And so I was drinking this toxin and doing everything else, like trying to do everything else to make myself so healthy and prevent inflammation in the body. And it's like the only thing I wouldn't look at was my alcohol consumption. I think that's where cognitive dissonance comes in. That's a big part of of drinking and continuing to drink, even though you kind of it's like, you know, it's probably not good for you, but you continue to do it. It's like smoking someone who smokes but knows that there are all these health implications. It's terrible for your health, but they continue to smoke. There's cognitive dissonance there, which is when your beliefs and your behaviors are in conflict. So you may not even realize like there's an internal conflict going on, but there is. And deep down, people probably know that the alcohol they're consuming isn't good for their health. But there's all these studies that would say, oh, wine is healthy for you. And it's I, I latched onto those studies. And after doing research, realizing that a lot of those studies have been cherry picked. And as I said, cancer or sorry, alcohol is linked to seven different cancers. And I was a cancer survivor. Well, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I'm drinking it. And I wasn't specifically linked to melanoma, but still I was doing everything else in my power to improve my health. Yet I was unwilling to look at my alcohol consumption. In addition to that, it literally destroys your gut microbiome. And that's something I was really into for a time. There's gut health and it causes like a dysbiosis and kills all the good bacteria and makes it really difficult to have good gut health. It causes premature aging. It messes with your blood sugar balance and makes it really difficult for people to lose weight. Like there are so many health implications and it's just so many reasons why we should be removing alcohol, but I get it. I was clinging on to it and and I had to let it go. And it's one of the best decisions that I've ever made. So in closing here, just to wrap up, I mean, I could have talked about so many more things, I feel like, and I was a bit all over the place. I apologize. Hopefully you can follow this. But if I was to create a sober toolkit, a a sobriety toolkit or sober curious toolkit, these are some of the things that I would have. I'd have so many amazing sparkling waters, also non-alcoholic 
beverages like beer, uh, like non-alcoholic beer, sorry. And I should have mentioned that earlier. I totally got into the non-alcoholic beer for Super Bowl. And I'll, I'm will i not a huge fan. I don't drink it, drink it very much during the year now. But for special occasions, like for this Super Bowl, I'll get some non-alcoholic beer. You know, Libra is great. It's, it's brewed in Prince Edward Island. You can get it anywhere. You can get it all around North America. I love Partake as well. Partake is really good. There's not... You know, if you are somebody who's looking at the nutritionals and you're somebody who's into, you know, you don't want to be drinking hugely highly caloric drinks. There's like, I think their pale ale has like five calories or 10 calories or something like that. And there's like zero sugar, zero carbs, zero anything. So if you if that's something that's important to you, partake is a good one as well. But Libra tastes really good. And they're coming out with so many cool non-alcoholic beers and flavors now and non-alcoholic drinks in general. So treat yourself. Okay. Treat yourself. You might also want to keep some candy nearby because there, you know, there's a sugar, there's a lot of sugars um, in some alcoholic drinks that you're drinking. Or I think, you know, don't quote me on this, but I think the alcohol, I don't know if it converts to sugar in your system or how that works, but I do know that once you could quit drinking, a lot of people are craving sugar. And I just feel like, you know what? Let yourself eat the sugar. Treat yourself. (laughs) Go have a freaking Sunday. Go put your face in a bag of Sour Patch Kids because you deserve it. And yeah, sugar's not great for your health either, but it's darn well better than alcohol in my humble opinion. So have some fun snacks around, have some sugar. And, you know, it's best if you can add a lot more fruits to your diet, like health, like natural sources of sugar, that's going to be really helpful as well. Uh, I would say follow a lot of sober accounts. I love following sober accounts. There's tons of sober curious accounts, or you can start one to keep yourself accountable. And it can be totally anonymous, but it just keeps you seeing this type of, of, of content and it keeps you motivated instead of seeing, you know, mommy wine culture stuff. Maybe you stop following accounts that are always posting about alcohol and start following sober curious accounts because what you see on your feed is going to have an influence and it can keep you feeling motivated and I see these posts all the time reminding me of how amazing it feels to wake up without a hangover and I love seeing these posts because it's just like yeah I I know it does feel amazing and this is why I'm doing it you can also as I mentioned get into reading what's called quit lit. (laughs) And so it's just kind of sober, curious literature. Some books that come to mind for me that I liked, and I don't even remember, I think it was a blur when I was reading these, but I pulled a couple from my bookshelf. As I said, Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker, highly recommend. We Are the Luckiest by Laura McGowan. Um, A Happier Hour, Rebecca Weller. And the Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray. I'm not going to have the time to put all these in the show notes, so you are going to want to write these down because I have a busy day today to get this out for you tomorrow. Uh, this one's called Smashed Story of Drunken Girlhood by Corin Zalkas. Wait, K-O-R-E-N-Z-A-I-L-C-K-A-S. Uh, the Sober Diaries by Claire Pooley. As I said, Alcohol Experiment and This Naked Mind. And that's all I have in front of me right now. I know I have more downstairs, but uh, there are just so many awesome books that you can read that really support you. And the more you become educated, it's it's like retraining your brain and learning all this stuff. As I said, you'll learn these things and then you'll know too much and you can't go back. That's how it was for me anyway. Uh, You're going to really want to anchor into self-care activities. So guess what? Treat yourself. You're going to save money. So start funneling that into activities like massages or manicure, pedicure, Reiki. Like these are the things that I did. Well, I didn't actually do massages really or or pedicures or things like that as much just because I don't really. I did some massages. That's just not getting my nails done isn't my interest, but you know, I definitely did Reiki sessions. I would, I bought a lot of books because that's something that feels like self-care to me is buying these books. And I would treat myself to, you know, kombuchas and sushi and 
things like that, you know, maybe something new to wear because you are going to save a lot of money and that's amazing. Like it depends how much you drank, but it, you are going to save money and and you deserve to treat yourself because you're doing something that's so good for you. I think that that is, I'm sure there's lots that I'm missing. I'm sure there's tons. I'm going to log off here and be like, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. But this is what's coming to my mind today. I'm over an hour here. So maybe I'll do a part three someday. If people are interested, I don't know. So if you're feeling sober curious at all, just explore it. There are no expectations. You don't have to commit to anything, but just even opening up that little space like in your life or just opening yourself up to the possibility of letting go of alcohol for, you know, an undetermined amount of time, it can be life-changing. It was for me, honestly, it's changed my life in the most positive way, and I can tell you that I don't think about it anymore. Okay? And I'm just realizing now that I didn't really give any techniques about how to cope with certain situations, but maybe I'll have to save that for another day because I'm running out of time here. But it's it's been such a blessing for me to have stumbled upon this sober, curious life, and I'm very grateful. So if you have any questions, please feel free to DM me or email me, and I will help you if I can. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you have an amazing weekend. And if you are on Prince Edward Island, I hope you stay warm because it is going to be freezing up in here. So put on your toque, put on your mitts, and bundle up, y'all, because we are heading into the polar vortex. Happy weekend. Okay, that was weird. I should delete that. Okay, bye. (laughs) 